All right, welcome back to another episode of Bitch, We Got the Tea. So last episode, we um, covered part one of white history, which was the ancient white tribes of China. And part two, we're going to talk about the Aryans or the Ariana or the Araya, which is a group of people that in ancient times um, resided outside of China in the Gobi Desert area, which, you know, y'all may refer to as Eurasia, the steppes, or, you know, um, yeah, basically Eurasia, the steppe, Western China, they invaded Northern India. So let's see what some of these uh, researchers have to say about the Ariana or the Aryans. So in a paper titled The Genomic Formation of South and Central Asia, which was released in March of 2018, it created a sensation in India and around the world. The paper was written by over 92 scientists from different disciplines in the field of science. And they all collectively agreed that between 2000 BC and 1000 BC, there were significant migrations from the Central Asian steppe that brought most likely Indo-European languages into India. So how we always, once again, you're gonna always hear me talk about Indo-European, proto-Indo-European. That's just the connection of these Caucasians who invaded India, who later invaded Europe, or what we now call Europe. That's the, that's the connection. But anyway, we'll slide on to the, before we even do that, so at the bottom of the little um, information that they talk about here, that these people, the paper supported the long-held idea of an Arya migration into India, or to put it more accurately, a migration of Indo-European language speaking people who called themselves Arya or Arianas or Arians. So um, these people would later become also, also the Indo-Iranians, also known as the Indo-Iranic peoples by scholars or as Araya or Arians. From their self-designation were a group of Indo-European people who brought the Indo-Iranian languages a major branch of the Indo-European language family to major parts of Eurasia and waves from the second millennia BC onwards. Now, you know, in the truth, there's always, in a lot, there's always threads of truth. So the way they kind of phrase it is that as if these people were Europeans who came into Asia when the, it's gonna be revealed as we go deeper in, these are people who were always in Asia who later brought that language from where they were already at, which was Western China. They brought that language into Northern India and then they're gonna bring it later on back West into Europe. So the origins of these people, um, we're gonna cover a couple of the different cultures. So we're gonna talk about these uh, Proto-Indo-Europeans who would later become known as the Sarazim culture, 
who would become known later known as the Sintashta culture, then eventually the Andro Novo culture, then the Karasuk culture, and then later the Tagar culture as we start to go from BC to pretty much like one BC, one AD, you know what I'm saying? All right, so let's go to the next little slide here. And this map, it kind of just illustrates um, how these mountains were like natural barriers or borders that kind of kept these um, Caucasians contained, at least for the most part at this present part in history. So in like a light blue, you see that in the bottom right, you have the Himalaya mountains and in that mountain range you have your, your modern Tibetans then there's a, a thinner mountain range to the northeast which is Tian Sha and then on this same map you have if we look at the western side of the map northwestern you have the Caucasian mountains the Caucasus mountains actually the greater and lesser Caucasus mountains which separate what we would call Eastern Europe from the Middle East, basically. All right, so we're gonna go on, move on to the Sarism culture. These people, um, I guess, had their run from the fourth century BC heading into the third century BC. So the culture of the Sarism precedes the arrival of the Andro Novo steppe culture in South Central Asia in the second, second millennium BC. Um, authors have challenged the chronology and the model of eastward spread due to increasing evidence for the earlier presence of these cultural features in parts of East Central Asia. But if we look at this map real quick, you see that where it's circled red, that's the Sarism culture. So they pretty much sat kind of in this little sweet spot between the Tian Sha Mountains and the Himalaya Mountains, or slightly west of both of those mountain ranges. So they didn't have to really worry too much about being attacked or invaded, at least from the east not directly anyway all right so moving on so next up is the Sintashta culture who had their run from it looks like what 2200 to 1750 BC the Sintashta culture was a uh, middle aged a middle bronze age culture in the southern Urals dated yeah, from 2200 to 1750 BC um, the culture is named after the archaeological site which they um, I guess uncovered in Oblast Russia and it basically runs through different regions extending into northern Kazakhstan as well as Bash Kortostan and some other countries that I'm not even going to try to pronounce <laughs> but the long and short of it, 
it's widely regarded as the origin of the Indo-Iranian languages whose speakers originally referred to themselves as the Araya. So, there you have it. We'll move on. The Andro-Novo culture. This uh, group of people was um, a collection of people who in the late Bronze Age flourished from 2000 to 1100 BC, uh, spanning from the Southern Ural Mountains to the upper Yenisei River in central Siberia. Most researchers associate the Andro-Novo horizon with early Indo-Iranian languages, though it may have overlapped with early Uralic speaking uh, uh, area at the Northern Fringe. But for all intents and purposes, you have these Caucasians who are not only in this Eurasian steppe, but the empire of this people extended into parts of Siberia, which we know is very cold. And this would be um, kind of pretty much a great atmosphere environment for these white people to thrive in because, you know, that sun is on their ass. <laughs> I just gotta say it like that. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, uh, moving on. Oh, okay, boom. So, the genetics that these scientists have pretty much identified for the people of the Andro Novo culture, it says um, in a published study, I guess from 2009 of the ancient Siberian cultures, the Andronovo culture, the Karasuk culture, the Tagar culture, and the Tashikt culture. They, I guess, you know, did genetic testing on, you know, different, uh, you know, bodies that was uncovered from the different uh, cultures and the area that the different cultures and empires were in, which is pretty much still contained within this general area. It goes on to talk about the specific haplo group, which in this case, I guess, um, U4, and then samples of Z1, T1, U2, E, T4, H, blah, blah, blah. And the long and short of it is, of the individuals surveyed, only two or 22% were determined to be of Asian ancestry while seven or 78% of the you know bodies uncovered were determined to be of European ancestry, with the majority being light-skinned with predominantly light eyes and light hair. So, you know, just give you some extra, you know, background on not only the culture, but who they were genetically and what they look like. And then, you know, uh, here, we ain't gonna go too deep, but there were several other subcultures of the Andronovo culture that had their individual runs. And these areas were from Southern Siberia to uh, parts of modern China and what would be uh, modern Kazakhstan, at least on the Southern Eastern part of that and Eastern Gregekistan. 
So, moving along, the Karasuk culture. This uh, culture had their run from the 1500s to 1500 to 800 BC. So it basically says that, yeah, basically they persisted down to 700 BC. From 700 to 200 BC, they had, I guess, vital trade, which could be traced from northern China and the Baikal region to the Black Sea and the Urals. So basically, it sounds like the early parts of the Silk Road that this group of Caucasians were able to um, maybe monopolize as since it was a part of a major trade route between mainland China, not mainland, because they still all on one piece of land. But remember, at this point, that Great Wall was that barrier that kept these devils out. So... Whoever was leaving and going, these Caucasians, or specifically at this point in history, the Karasu culture, looked like they were more commerce-minded and they was making money off people who were traveling along that Silk uh, Silk Road route. So anyway, the economy was mixed of agriculture and stock breeding. Um, this culture appeared to be more mobile than the predecessors, which was the Andro Novo. And then it says that they were also farmers who practiced metallurgy on a large scale. So, of course, when you hear terms like metallurgy, they making probably jewelry of some sort. They're making weapons of some sort. You ain't doing, you're not work slaving in a hot little fire like you see in the movies and shit. Niggas is clink, clink, hitting. They making either weapons or they making jury or they making both. Basically, you know what I'm saying? So it goes on further to say that the pottery um, that this society created was compared to, to that of Inner Mongolia and the interior of China with burial bronze knives similar to those from Northeast China and the realistic animal art, um, I guess paintings, whether a cave or elsewhere related, these animal art paintings um, contributed to the development of the Sitho-Siberian animal art style. And then of course the Scythians is another Caucasian empire that would raise rise up a little bit later from this period. So that's what they're alluding to. These people are the ones who influenced the other Caucasians who would later be known as the Scythians in their style of art, which these people clearly got or picked it up from Mongolia and Northern China because why them niggas was right next door. All right, next. So the genetics of these people, the Karasu culture, it says that basically more tests were conducted of these people and these individuals were all determined to be Europoid and light-eyed. So if you got, you know, 
that fifth grade education at minimum, you should know what Europoid means. Mongoloid, Negroid, Europoid, Black, Asian, White. All right, moving on. So Tagar culture, that's the culture that basically followed the Andronovo and the culture that we just talked about. <laughs> so it says um, they are the descendants of the Andronovo culture and they are frequently linked to the Indo-Iranians. Um, however, the Proto-Turkic Dinlin tribe was also part of the Tagar culture. So the kind of, I guess, pause right here so we heard of proto-indians proto-indo-european now you're hearing another word proto-turkic when we hear of modern or mid medieval history even from medieval going into like slightly ancient meaning slightly beginnings of bc you you hear of the turks which is Turkey, Istanbul, you know, that area is basically telling you that out of this Tagar culture, which is still situated right outside of, you know, China, what we will later identify as collectively as China, the Tagar culture was right there. And the same people who are part of the Aryans would also later become the Turks. So anyway, the Tagar culture was preceded by the Tashik culture. The Tagar produced animal art motifs. Once again, they continue the animal artwork that their predecessors started to put down. Um, and then once again, doing it says that they were subject to numerous studies by physical anthropologists. The Tagars have been described by researchers as having Europoid features. So this ain't one. This is three different uh, cultures that precedes the next, that descends from the next, that descends from the next in this same region that is telling you, these these scientists is telling you, I ain't telling you, I'm just telling you what they telling you. I'm just putting all of the pieces together like a fucking puzzle. Caucasian, Caucasian, Caucasian. So, um, yeah, pretty much that's what that is right there. And then on this uh, next slide, it just goes you know, further in of different um, individuals from the Tagar culture that were, you know, uh, tested genetically. It goes into, you know, what strain of the DNA, what type of DNA category they fall under. T3, I4, G2, F1B, all this stuff. But when it was said and done, based on the analysis of the 10 SMPs, the majority of the Tagar individuals were classified as being primarily of European ancestry. 
with the exception of one mixed ancestry individual. And then it goes further to say, of the specimens yielding a pigmentation phenotype, slightly more than half were assigned blue eye color, while four were possibly blue or brown eyed, and most were assigned blonde or light brown hair color. It's telling you who these people are who live right outside of China. <laughs> and the map right there, that's their culture right there. You know what I'm saying? So, anyway, moving on. So, these people who descended from the Indo-Iranian branch or tree, however you want to put it, that end up being all of these other subcultures, they had two waves of expansion. So it's saying that in the first wave, um, the Indo-Iranians and their expansion are strongly associated with the Proto-Indo-European invention of the chariot. It is assumed that this expansion spread from the Proto-Indian European homeland north of the Caspian Sea, south to the Caucasus, Central Asia, um, Iranian Plateau, and the Indian subcontinent. So, in this, um, you know, image here, you see, like, the this is the Indian subcontinent right there, and then the Plateau is, it looks like this overall general rocky area in the middle between basically the Himalayas and as you see where the Caucasus Mountains is. So on another map, which I'm sure I got a thousand maps on this motherfucker, but the area where I'm kind of gonna, yeah, the area here that I'm illustrating, you have the Caucasus Mountains on the left of the map here. You have the Himalayas on the right and the Tian Tien Shore um, mountain range on the right. This little rocky area kind of in the middle here is where you have modern day Persia, which is modern day Iran, which is named after the old version or the ancient people who are the Arianas, Iran. Bing, bing. All right, next. So now it's talking about a second wave of expansion. The second wave is interpreted as the Iranian wave. The first Iranians to reach the Black Sea may have been the Sumerians. Sumerian is different than Sumerian. We don't want to get it confused. So let me just pull up another little map to kind of pull into this motherfucker real quick. I don't think I could pull this map in because I could way I got the shit set up. But the long and short, the Sumerians spelled C-I-M-M-E-R-I-A-N-S are another group of these um proto-Indians who during the eighth century 
you know, had their little run or whatever. And then they were followed by the Scythians, who we mentioned earlier, this group of um, people in the previous civilization, parent civilizations, that was starting to do the animal artwork. And there we got it. The Scythians were considered a Western branch of the Central Asian Sakas. The Sarmatian tribes of whom are best known, the Roxolani, the Lozages, and the Alani, or the Alans, followed by the Scythians westward into Europe in the late centuries BC and the first and second centuries AD. So, from there we'll move on. So, to go further as far as the second wave of these um, proto-Iranians or Aryans, at this point, they were known as the Medians, the Persians, and the Parthians, and they began to appear on the Iranian plateau. So, let me just jump back once again. This is the Iranian plateau, this area in the middle here between the Caucasus Mountains and the Himalayas, that's pretty much the south portion of this map where it's all mountainous and rocky, as uh, was shown earlier. As a matter of fact, let me go a little bit further back. If this thing will show. All of these countries right here, from orange to per pink and the yellow and green, all these countries are on that uh, Iranian plat or the plateau that was populated by these proto-Indo-Iranian uh, peoples. So yeah, you have you know Persia and yellow in the bottom left, Media and orange. Parthia to the right, no, to the north, east, and pink. That's just a few examples. All right, so let's see. Yeah, so in Eastern Europe, the Iranians were eventually um, decisively assimilated, e.g. Slavization, and absorbed by the proto-Slavic population of the region. While in Central Asia, the Turkic languages marginalized the Iran Iranian languages as a result of the Turkic expansion of the early centuries AD. So it's like in a, in a the, the longest short of it, the earlier Caucasian tribes and cultures that were um, that stemmed from the Arianas would become the Iranians, would become the Scythians, would become the Turks, as it's telling you here. That yeah, these Iranians 
were assimilated and absorbed by the Proto-Slavic. So now we're getting more into the kind of closer and real, not real, but closer to our perspective of history of these Slavic peoples, which were basically Caucasians that were enslaved so damn often that the name of their people became synonymous with bondage and forced servitude. So, um, so anyway, let's see. The major Iranian languages are Persian, Pashto, Kurdish, and Balachi, besides numerous smaller ones. Osatian, primarily spoken in North Osatia and South Osatia, is a direct descendant of Alanic, and by that, the only suburban the only surviving Sarmatian language of a wide range East Iranian dialect. So these Alans that they talk about here, the Alanic language is the language of the Alans, but that's a whole other group of people. We'll get into them in part three. So, you know, thank y'all for tuning in. I know it was a lot to kind of absorb, but, you know, obviously pause the video, do your own separate Googles. You could break this down look up the individual um, cultures, the individual countries. You can look at the history of these individual countries and see how they tie back to these same earlier Caucasian cultures. You know, don't argue with me. Argue, well, what's out there? Because all of the shit is going to be pointing and self-explanatory. And this is the shit that the, the modern Caucasian who identifies as European, well, let me get my hands on the European they're not Europeans. They're no more European than they are American. They're no more Euro- I mean, they they not these same people are not Australian. They are Caucasians who invaded and killed and took over Australia. The same people who invaded and killed and took over modern day Europe, which is their creation, because that whole shit is really Asia, because it's connected. There ain't no, it ain't no motherfucking island. It's Asia. But anyway, these same people who killed and invaded North America and all and so on and so on. So we'll wrap it up. And um, like I said, thank y'all for tuning in. It's a lot to, to absorb. Obviously, pause the shit, come back if you need to. But um, all of this information, we just dog walking these motherfuckers step by step. Empire by empire, culture by culture. I'm taking you from the the beginning to now. So when you're talking with these devils and they trying to tell you this and that, you can look at them and be like, no, nigga, I know your whole fucking profile, nigga. As well as these other cultures of mulattoes who identify as this or identify as that, but have a white supremacist mind state, you could tell them who the fuck they are too by the time we're done with this series. All right. Well, thank you for your time, and I'll catch y'all next time.